welcome to London Stock Exchange CEO series, Be Inspired. We chat to CEOs, founders and leaders who've successfully listed their businesses on London Stock Exchange and learn about their journeys. I'm Justine Zwirling, very proud mum, and I also work for Primary Markets in Israel. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be here with Ami Danielle, an inspiring and incredible CEO and co-founder of Winwood, a global leader in maritime AI. Um, they IPO'd in London in December on our AIM market. Good morning, Ami. How are you? I'm good. And now I'm, uh, I'll choose myself as a proud father as well, because I can also be proud. Why not? I had a discussion with, that, my, with my daughter on that. And uh, I told her, um, I, I, I was teaching her math, and, um, and, she, and I told her, well, that's my job, I'm a dad. And she told me, Ami, well, that's not my job, because your, your job, because you built Windward because I, before I was born. So actually, that was your job. So we had a discussion about what's your primary job, dad or founder? And I think it's a, it's a good question, because Windward is a bit of a baby for us. I was looking at your incredible kind of growth journey and more so about yourself I wanted to start the discussion I just love your strap line on LinkedIn born by the ocean sailed in the ocean now builds for the ocean so first of all I wanted to ask you who are you and what makes you tick so first of all uh, what makes me tick is uh, building things so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a simple Israeli guy. I was born in Israel. I didn't spend too much time abroad. My parents were, you know, my my father used to uh, uh, run uh, construction factories or operations, building stuff, basically buildings, right? Um, and my mother worked for the Technion, and which is like the institution for in technology in Israel, and was dreaming of being an engineer. Well, I guess that, you know. That ship is there, I guess. I think what makes me tick is um, building things and finding the combination between technology and business. Actually, I find it extremely interesting to understand how new technologies open new business cases and allow businesses just to succeed more. Um, I think some people say, are you a business person? Are you a tech person? Are you a product person? The answer is, as a founder, you're all of the above. Uh, I can't expect anybody to get the impact in the business. If I don't get the impact in the business, I can't expect anybody to get tech if I don't get the tech. So it's a pretty high bar, it makes you work hard, but I think it's worth it. Amazing, thank you. Can you give us an overview kind of like of your journey to becoming a CEO? Well, it's a good question because I thought, I think when we built the company, I didn't know the difference between a founder and a CEO. And actually for many years, the word wasn't any difference because you're just an entrepreneur. Um, uh, you just build things and you have your team and you work together. I think probably the tipping point is probably about 50 or 60 employees. That's probably a tipping point between small team, everybody knows everything, everybody knows what everybody's doing, to you need to properly run a company, properly run a management team, properly run a strategy and execute it at scale. Uh, and actually going public in the London market really helped me, I think, figure out that even better because you know life's a journey and we, we all learn and grow um and i can also tell you a secret that uh i think two or three weeks after the ipo i asked our chairman little brown to uh, find an evening to spend with me and we had a lovely dinner together and i came to that three and a half hour dinner with one question um what how should i be running the company different now that we're public in london 
versus six months ago. Um, and you know, I, and I think it's a journey, but I think the, the, the key is you need to understand that your actions and the words go way beyond just you and what you build because you have a team following you and you need to be consistent, clear, concise, accurate, and at the same time, empower them and lead. So, you know, everybody, there's like a ton of book on this, uh, uh, books on this. Obviously, I read a lot, but I think it's just a journey of keep on working on yourself and being better every day. And I know that we're all seeing, especially yourself, a heightened risk um, in geopolitical situations this year. And how are you helping your customers assess and manage those risks? Yeah, so let's just take a step back. We're a maritime AI company, and I think we've been built a com building a company according to a thesis called Vertical AI, coined by Bradford Cross from uh, Silicon Valley, that says there are general problems that general AI like DeepMind can solve, but there are also vertical specific problems, such as everything concerning the shipping and with the implications of shipping thereof, that are better solved with the combination of domain expertise and AI, and that's vertical AI. So we're a vertical AI company in the, in the world of shipping. Um, we work with approximately 85 organizations from trading and shipping and energy and banking and governments to basically to help them uh, uh, figure out, assess risk and be proactive on shippings and shipments and trading. So, um, and let me give you a few examples. Every time two of our customers, BP and Shell, buy and sell any cargo of oil or wet bulk in anywhere around the world, it has to go through the Winmer platform for anything legal and sanctions compliance. Um, and that really came up in the last two years or so, because before that, the regulation didn't exist. Uh, so I think that's, and obviously, I think it's a great lead-in to what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. So we help businesses with due diligence and compliance. We have, gov we have governments with maritime security. Uh, we help logistics organizations with predicting where, the, where their shipments will arrive and where they are. So we have about a million cargo owners in the world, almost 50,000 freight forwarders. All of these are really experiencing the biggest uh, crunch and challenge and pushback and woes of supply chain ever. So it has never in the history of mankind been more expensive to ship a box and less reliable to ship a box. Um, you know, I spent last week, couple of days in the HQ of one of the biggest liners in the world it was amazing to hear them say that visibility was completely not an issue for them two years ago. And it's a huge issue now with five teams. So I think that's really where I think the demand in the world meets the tech. And I think hopefully we believe we're in prime position to help them. In terms of uh, how does this affect the world, then I think, first of all, the Ukraine-Russia war is not isolated. It's not a singular event that's happening. I think you should see it in a broader context of geopolitical pressures between China and the, and the West, uh, um, uh, the sanctions on Iran and Venezuela. They're all deeply interconnected and influencing one another. Um, I, I think in the last two years, we've seen supply chain crunch. If anybody has been trying to order a car, for instance, good luck with that. Most cars you can get only in a year, actually secondhand used cars Sometimes it's worth more than new cars because you don't have a choice uh, at this point. Uh, you've seen, I think the UN said yesterday, the prices of food are an all-time high. I just bought tomatoes yesterday for five bucks a kilo in, in the supermarket. It's unbelievable. Um, and inflation is as high as it's been in years. 
I think the U.S. has been talking about 7 8%, 7% inflation or 8% inflation. In Israel, they just uh, ratchet up the, the interest rates today. So I think all of these things are interconnected. The world is one global supply chain, and everything influences everything. The prices of oil influences your petrol station and how much you pay. Uh, the uh, demand for cars post-COVID, because the people didn't buy cars in COVID, I think, is, the, is affecting. The lack of chips is affecting. All of this is affecting. E-commerce is booming, and therefore there is more congestion. So I think all of these things together are affecting. Russia, Ukraine is affecting big time on wheat. It's a big export center of wheat. Um, a lot of containerized goods supply chain has been disrupted because people, Maersk basically has written off Russia completely. They won't do business with Russia. So all of these things are deeply interconnected and we, we see them going well into 2022 and probably into 2023. I hope I managed to give a long answer to a very short question. I apologize for that. Ami, I would like your insights on um, what were the key drivers for you listing in London and becoming public? Sure. So the key drivers for us for listing in London, um, first of all, is, is growth. Um, we decided and, and identified a heightened opportunity in, for demand and for new products. We just need to invest more in the tech and distribution. And while pursuing that capital raise, we considered private options as well as different public options, uh, including other stock exchanges, we decided that, uh, that London was the favorable solution because the investor base, we felt, uh, knows and understands our business uh, intuitively, which I think was, this is the key driving element because if the investor base does not get your business, then you won't grow, you won't raise capital, but even if you will raise capital, long-term you won't grow. So I think that was one choice. The second thing is, our customer base really thinks highly of the London market brand. So we've just yesterday signed a five year plus three year renewal with a big customer of ours. And one of the, which is effectively an eight year contract, right? Which is, um, um, I think what's really interesting is that they feel that longer that we're public, we're more stable. And if we're more stable, they can contract with us for the longer term. And I think we've seen that on other people as well. That I think is direct impact of the London listing and that brand. Thirdly, uh, it provides an opportunity to bring a professionalized board into place, which I thought as, as a CEO is a really good thing because then we can build around us the management of board that actually challenges us, but also provides industry insight. And we feel that's the right way to build a board for us. Um, they're also founder-friendly uh, impacts like collapsing the share structure uh, and having just common shares. And I think that's for founders and employees, that's uh, very lucrative. And it also provides liquidity. We provide liquidity to a lot of people who want it. And I think it just makes it easier and, and to some extent even easier also to attract talent because let's say an executive or employee leaves the company, they can just sell their shares if they want. And if they don't want it, they can keep their shares. But they have that option and private companies oftentimes you don't. So I think the combination of these make London a really good choice, uh, uh, I think, and a really good stepping stone for furthering the growth of the company. As a leader and a, a hugely respected um, motivator for others in tech, could you give us like your top tips for other CEOs and leaders contemplating uh, going public? And also, you know, how did you share the work-life balance while you're managing the business? as well as being an amazing dad and going public at the same time. I think these these key tips for people are so important. Well, I don't know about work-life balance. Um, 
It's a good question. I'm not sure I have it figured out candidly. I think for growing this business, we had to find our own approach. Unfortunately, or fortunately, nothing works for me the way it works for, works for other people. But I think it's been working well in the last year. Um, uh, in terms of tips for taking the company public, uh, actually, I think our chairman, Laura Brown, had a very good um, impact on that. I'm not sure I would, I would have done that without him, and I could not do that this without him. Um, obviously, he has a bit of experience in the London market, and he's also my personal mentor. We're very close, and I think doing that, a CEO is a very lonely job, and I think having a partner like a chairman like him makes a world of a difference. Obviously, I have a co-founder. I'm super, super close. We're like brothers, but Laura Brown led in public companies in London, and I think it was a huge benefit to have him at the helm with us and to continue having him mentor us for further growth. Um, and I think a lot of people look at building a board as a IPO tick the box exercise. I don't. I think of it as it's part of your building your business exercise. And and I think that did stand out as the feedback we received. Um, last but not least, I think you should uh, just understand there's a bunch of things you don't know. Um, so just accept it, remember the goal, and you'll figure it out. Um, if the goal is important enough, I'm sure you get uh, the technicalities. Maybe last but not least, I think it's been fundamental and instrumental to get a, a strong and a good executive team around me because I'm not alone. And, and when I had to focus with my CFO and my CMO on the IPO, we had other people doing a lot of business around us, and that didn't stop the company. So in these things, you need to build 12 or 18 months ahead of time. You just can't just click, you know, push the button and get a management team. You need to, to build that around you. So um, hopefully that makes sense. Again, I think for us, this is just the beginning of the journey. We're one, as I said, at the, in the morning of the IPO, which, by the way, was very exciting and very emotional for us. Uh, to see yourself opening the market in London on an idea in a company that you thought about in the basement, that's super exciting. But we're 1% done, and I think, don't think an IPO is the end of the road. Think of it about as another chapter. Um, um, and if you want another chapter, it's a great chapter. Um, assuming, assuming you're ready to evolve and you know, keep growing and, and building the company yourself. So you talked about Lord Brown. Is he your mentor and, you know, your, your inspiration? And would you recommend other leaders following a similar path to you in terms of choosing mentors and people who inspire you, keep them close? Yeah. I, I, by the way, I had many advisors through the years, but I think mentorship is something you need to connect on an emotional level for me. Um, and it's also people who need to be able to take you to the next level and be willing to invest that time and resources in you because everybody's busy. Um, and, but you also need to be able and willing. And last but not least, um, what do you like to do in your very little spare time and kind of what keeps you balanced? Wow, uh, it's a good question. Uh, so yesterday, um, uh, yesterday or two days ago, uh, I found myself uh, two days ago uh, at the beach with my kids, walking with my uh, bare feet in the uh, in the ocean, that keeps me grounded. Uh, so running keeps me grounded. Doing uh, mindfulness, uh, uh, practicing mindfulness, uh, keeps me grounded. Reading keeps me grounded. And I have my secret sauce. Uh, I have a digital detox every Saturday, so I turn off my phone for 24 hours, completely. 
So no emails, no WhatsApps, no Facebook, no LinkedIn, no news, absolutely nothing. I don't do this for, from a um, religious perspective. I do this from a sanity perspective. After you're 24-7 bombarded with everything, if you can take a step back and stop that for, uh, uh, for a bit, that's great. Thank you, Ami, for sharing your secret sauce with us. Uh, thank you for your time. Sounds good. Thanks, uh, Justine. Thank you for the London Stock Exchange for this great series. I actually watched a few uh, episodes. They're really great. And uh, hopefully uh, this is just the beginning of our journey. We'll meet again very soon. So thanks again for having me. Please join us to view more episodes on www.londonstockexchange.com. Mm-hmm.